pecan pie or pumpkin pie, or not pumpkin, that'd be odd, I guess, maybe, maybe, cherry pie, it's all waiting, and so I know that my, my time is limited right now before you're, right now I probably messed it up by talking about that stuff. But I want to ask, what is your, as you think about this, what is your view and concept of God? Now, no doubt, even if somebody's not a believer, they hear the terminology God, and there's like some subconscious view of God. What is God really like? What really happened on the cross, in the tomb, at the resurrection? Well, this afternoon, I just want to speak on this topic. God is still great. God is still great. Lord, we love you. Thank you for everything you've already done. You've already touched lives. You've already provided healing. Oh, God, you've provided comfort and strength. Lord, and I just pray that your word, it doesn't need help. It's alive. It's powerful. But I'm a man. I need help. Speak through me and help every person either watching online or here present, Lord, to have their heart and mind open to what it is you want to speak today, really about yourself in your name. Jesus' name, amen. Humankind has varying views about God. Some see God as a mysterious, invisible force, devoid of personality, occasionally just interjecting himself into human affairs. In their, in their view, this mystical force permeates the universe and is interconnected with our lives. There are those who see God as a weak, hesitant, ineffective, gray-haired old man, that he's just sitting above the circle of the earth, and he awakes, yawns, stretches out each morning, looks down on the earth and sees what kind of mischief we got ourselves in overnight. He throws up his hands in despair at the mess he sees, and then perhaps makes a couple of minor adjustments to try to salvage the worst situations. Others view him as a cruel and vengeful God of wrath. He's looking down upon the earth, poised to, to pierce the wicked and unweary with a lightning bolt of terrible justice and judgment. He, he just hangs out waiting to kick off the book of Revelation. Some look at his God as a mere life preserver to grab when you're in the shoals of adversity or capsized by the storms of life. Others look at him as a sort of spiritual spare tire that we use when we have a, a flat or a breakdown on the road of life. Many see him as a sponge or a handy wipe that they can use when the milk spills and you can clean things up. Think about it. Can God make a stone so heavy that he can't lift it? Could God throw a spear so far that he couldn't reach it? Could God devise a puzzle so complex that he could not solve it? For me, it just takes the Rubrics cube. I can't even, I can't even figure that out. Anybody got the patience to, because I might be able to figure it out. I don't have the patience to get there. And it's like, why am I doing this? The great God of this universe is so far beyond our realm of comprehension. The prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts, God speaks and says, are not your thoughts. Anybody ever get into a situation say, if God would just, anybody ever done that before? Come on, be real. I have. If God would just this, it would be fixed. It would be good if I was God. I'd already destroyed myself, by the way. 
Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we can study God and get our doctorate in, in, in the study of scripture. We can go to seminary. We can do all this. But we still will not, and I think we should. Education is important. But we still will not be able to say, let me explain to you all the mysteries of God and why he does what he does. We will never fully comprehend and understand the great and infinite nature of the God of this universe. But just as Moses, Isaiah, Peter, and John were given glimpses of his glory in their personal encounters with Jehovah, we are also given glimpses of his greatness and the majesty of our great God. Not only just in scripture, but even in personal life. If you've ever been a part of, has anyone here ever prayed for something and God miraculously touched you? He solved the situation that looked unsolvable. He miraculously healed your body. Raise your hand if you would say, I have been a part at some point in my life of something that was miraculous. Look around right now, okay? We, don't, we might not be able to explain all the depths and ins and outs of God, but you're sitting in a room or you're watching online at a church where there are hundreds of people who have experienced the greatness of God, and we have seen a glimpse, just a glimpse of his glory. Sometimes we get jealous of Moses and go, man, he was, he's, I want to see your glory, and God, someone put you on the side of the rock, and when I pass by, you'll see the hinder parts, and, and we read these things, and we go, wow, could you imagine what it would have been like to walk with Jesus and to the Mount of Transfiguration. And could you imagine all these things? But you get to see a glimpse of God this more, this afternoon as we sang songs and people felt the presence and power of God and worship God and God came near and you felt the brush of angels wings, so to speak. We got a glimpse of God today. For but we're also given glimpses of God throughout Scripture. His attributes are described in simple terminology designed to clearly convey aspects of his infinite character to his finite creatures. That's why it says, oh, Jesus is on the right hand of God. This does not insinuate there's a triune, co-equal, co-eternal God and God's sitting in heaven and he puts up a hand like this and little Jesus sits in his hand and sits like, no, it's called anthropomorphism, which is where in Scripture they would, writers would give God God, human characteristics. If he's a spirit, his right hand, you know, how do you get on the right hand of a spirit that's everywhere? It's given human characteristics. So when we read, we're understanding. Oh, wow, okay. We can have an understanding based on our finite minds of this great and infinite God. And so in this heavenly glimpse in Revelation, John, and he, he's in the Lord's day, the book opens up with, and, and it says he's in the spirit, and we can make some divine deductions about our God just based on that. We are called to know and serve a large God. John's vision and revelation brings into focus, a lot of people want to talk about all the end time stuff and all, the, all of the, like, what happens is, what is that? What could that represent? What about this? What's going on in the world right now? I get it. I get it, and, and I think we should study, but the book of Revelation is about the greatness of God. Don't forget that as you read that. You will find Jesus everywhere in the book of Revelation. 
And John, he, he's writing about this, and the audiovisual effect is overwhelming, so much so that John is just struck down by the impact. We can only imagine the enormity of the vision of that, God, that God gives John, and John strives under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write these things down that he's seeing in this vision, to place human symbolic language in, on otherworldly sites, and in and, and trying to give God this glorious manifestation as he's is he's writing these things down for us. But in one case in Revelation 9, John is trying to describe the wrath of God being poured upon the earth in the last days. And in the ninth chapter, John is writing about the fifth and sixth trumpets. And it says, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. Ark of the Covenant, right? And so, and, the, and the, the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. We don't understand all of what this means, but John's having this, this divine revelation. He's explaining, and he says, then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of the people of the earth. So we read this, and right away, we, the human mind says, well, when will these things be? And who are the angels? And what's going on at the Euphrates River? Could it be happening right now? Let's do research about the Euphrates. Let's do research about the timeline and try to figure out when this might happen because we want to make a prediction, and, and we want to go into all that. I look at this. And here's what I see. See, the Bible says it's talking about an army of locusts being released. And Scripture tells us, based on verse 15, that they had been prepared for this hour, this day, this month, and this year. That's what jumps off the page there to me. This confirms that, okay, our enemy in the spiritual realm, the Bible says we live in a spiritual realm. Our enemy is ready and waiting to wage war. There's nothing that there is. If you, if you think there's no devil, sorry, it, it, he exists. But he's not like God. He's not in all places at all times. When people say the devil was really attacking me, I always say, wow, you must be one of the most powerful people on the face of planet Earth, that the devil himself is just at your doorstep because he can't be anywhere else like God. Sometimes it's just our own human spirit. But the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy you, destroy your family, discourage you, make you want to give up, make you want to say, I quit, I throw in the towel, I'm done, I don't want any more. God's not, he doesn't hear me, I've struggled too much, he obviously doesn't see me, I'm done, I'm out of here. The enemy wants nothing more to, than to do that, and he stands ready to do that. But what else I saw in this scripture is... Angels had been prepared for this hour, day, month, and year. Because even though evil, even evil forces must observe God's timing. There is nothing that happens in your life that God says, it's time to dispatch angels at this day, this hour, this month, this year. Everything that transpires in your life, even when it seems like God is void, God is absent, God is not there. God is so great and so powerful and so in control that the demonic realm has to obey his voice. The spiritual realm has to obey his voice. The angels have to obey his voice. That everything that you bring him 
He has divine and final authority. God is great. And if there's one thing you're going to walk out of here with today, that's this. God is great. God is powerful. God is always in control. God never loses track of you. God never forgets you. God never makes a mistake. God never falls down. God never makes an error. God is always great. He's always powerful. He's always in control. Every knee one day is going to bow and confess that he is the Lord of all the earth. So I want today to be my day that I do that. The greatness of our God is made clear throughout Scripture. First Chronicles 16.25 says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 48.1 says, How great is the Lord. How deserving of praise. Now, notice that these both have said, He's deserving of praise and He's worthy of praise. This is why you see crazy people running around acting nuts at times and Pentecostal worship services because we believe the Bible we take it at its word and if it says he's worthy of praise then I believe he's worthy of praise if it says he's deserving of praise then I believe he's deserving of praise so that means if I walk in and I had a bad week at work I got fired from my job the doctor told me something I don't want to hear if if things aren't going well in the marriage yes these are all things that can weigh on us but when I get into the house of God I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. And it's not because I feel like it. There's a lot of times that I stand on that front row and I'm tired. I don't feel good. And I don't feel like worshiping God. But I don't lift my voice and raise my hands because I say, God, I'm having a great day. So I'm going to praise you today. God, I got a raise at my job. So I'm going to praise you today. Worship is God. I had a terrible week. But you're worthy of praise. You're deserving of praise. So I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to begin to jump a little bit. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to worship you because of who you are, not because of what's going on in my situation. And Psalm 145.3 says, great is the Lord. Oh, there it is again. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. And so what if God showed up today and said, I'm just here to receive your worship this afternoon. And based on your worship, you're letting me know how worthy and deserving you think I am. What would he have found today from each and every one of us? Would he, would, he, would he have been drawn to you in your row? Would he have said, oh man, there's just something about the row one, two, three, four, row five, row five, seat three and four. There's something about this area that I'm just drawn to because they're just passionately pursuing me. They're giving me the worship that I'm worthy and deserving of. I tried to tell humanity that I'm worthy of worship 
worship. I tried to tell humanity that I'm deserving of praise. And I'm just drawn to these ladies right now. Or did he go, you know what, I'm, I'm back in this section right here. And I just, I just feel that people are just lifting their voice and raising their hands. And I feel this genuine pursuit of my power and my presence. God is drawn to praise. If that ever confuses you, just think about the fact that we are made in the image of God. Do you want to work for a boss that every time you get a project done, you came in and said, I've worked hard on this. Here, check it out. And they go, that's, that's garbage. That's trash. I, I hate it. And you walk out. And then you come back and say, look at this design that I just made for this. And, and, and look at this. And I hate the colors. That looks terrible. Just get it out of here. Eventually, you start going, what? I, I don't even want to work here. Some of you are like, uh, you're describing my job right now. But no, we love it when someone says, oh, wow, it's a good-looking suit. Your hair looks beautiful today. The postcard you designed is amazing. What you've done, Abigail, it's, it, you did a good job. And, 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 we, and we, we say these things, and Abigail's recording this because she designed stuff for me, and she's like, I'm going to play this back for you later. <laughs> but we're drawn to praise. And you're made in the image of God. So it's very simple if you just stop and process it. He's drawn, I'm not saying everybody needs to do somersaults and flips and, 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 and do all that. But I at least want God to know that if he was here, which he is, and he's watching me, does he say, based on your worship, I see my value. And I want God to know, wow, he really values me today. Because his situation isn't dictating his worship. My worth and my value are dictating his worship. And this is great. God has chosen to come and fill people with the Spirit, just like Gabe and Israel at that convention last week. And now we have the great God inside of us. And because we have the great God inside of us, guess what? We can be great too. First John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. There is a spirit that lives in the world. And it's strong at times. And sometimes it feels like it weakens us and weighs us down. But you have the spirit of God and it's greater than any spirit you're ever gonna come up against. David, amen. David even talks about the, how great just the voice of the Lord is. Psalm 29.3, he says, the voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. You ever been, anybody ever stand next to the sea? I mean, it's loud. And now just get a picture of a voice echoing more than a sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a wild young, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The and the, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, Glory! 
Now I know, especially if you are a guest here, and by the way, I am thrilled that you have spent Easter Sunday afternoon with us. Thank you so much for being here today, both in person and online. But you might not be accustomed to things like this demonstrative, expressive, passionate worship. But if I, we here believe the Bible's very literal, and, and so if God says, I died for our sins, he died for our sins. If he wants to fill us with the Spirit, he wants to fill us with the Spirit. If he says, I can heal you today, we believe he can heal you today. So when I read this and I say, hey, the voice of the Lord is powerful, does all these things. But when the people of the Lord are in the temple, they shout glory. I, I'm just dumb enough to stop and pause the message and wonder if you'll just make yourself a little bit uncomfortable here. And we all just in the count of three, just begin to shout glory. I, I know you might say, well, this is strange. This is odd. This is so weird. Well, I don't know. I'm reading this and saying, well, why don't we give it a shot and just see if God inhabits the praise of his people. So what do you say? One, two, three. Oh, come on, keep going for a minute. Let's just keep shouting glory to him. It's biblical. It's biblical. Just raise your voice. Don't just clap, but just begin to say glory. Glory to you, God. Glory to you, Lord. I give any praise, I offer it to you today. Glory to you, Jesus. You are great. You are worthy. You are awesome, Lord. Glory, glory, glory to you, God. Everyone in the temple shouts glory. Why? Because we serve a great and powerful God. Oh, yes. You see, if we're made in the image of God, and we are, because the Bible tells us we are, God's design is for the spoken word to have power and authority. So when we lift our voices, our voices become powerful in the spiritual realm. I know you might say, that's weird. I'm not participating in that, but I'm telling you, there's something God said. He spoke the world into existence. He designed the voice to have power. He designed the voice to have authority. That's why if you have children, then they're misbehaving. You can come into a room, and even if they don't see you, if they hear Jude, if they hear Titus, if they hear Kiera, well, maybe not, but no, I'm just kidding. If they hear Kiera, they will stop because their voice holds authority. They might not even see you. They might not see your face, but there's power. There's authority in a voice. And when you begin to lift up the name of Jesus, the spiritual realm, hears a voice calling out the name, and they, and they take notice of that. That spirit-filled believer is calling on the name of the Savior again. We are in for a spiritual battle because there's authority in a voice. Look at another story where the demonic realm recognizes the greatness of God simply by seeing Jesus. Mark 3, 10 through 15. He had, been, he had healed many people that day, and so all the sick people were eagerly pushing forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits, people possessed by evil spirits, it says, caught sight of him. The spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! 
But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain, called the ones he wanted to go with him. They came to him, and he appointed the 12 with them, and and they called them apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. That would be pretty awesome to walk around with a guy that could just command the demons to flee. But it would be a whole lot more awesome if he said, you think that's cool? I want you. I'm actually going to empower you to do what I've done and even greater things. That's the kind of guy I want to follow. Not that I just follow around to watch the show, but who wants me to be a part of it and says, I want to empower you. I want to give you the authority that I have. That's what I want. And this says, just the demons, all they had to do, demon-possessed people would come up to him, and they wouldn't even get there. Jesus did not look at him, speak to him yet. Just getting close, just by the sight of him. Even the demons. That's why when people say, all you have to do is believe and you will be saved and go to heaven, then the demons, the devils, are going to be in heaven worshiping with us. There is more than just belief. Belief is awesome. It's a starting point. And that is, we need biblical faith. We need belief. Because we have to believe in something before we respond and obey it. But even the, James tells us even the demons believe and they tremble. They walked up to Jesus and started declaring who he was before he even spoke because of the authority he has. His voice has authority. His appearance, his face has authority. The spiritual realm recognizes him. You might have thought that you just walked in for a Sunday afternoon Easter service before the holiday ham, but you walked into a place where you are in the presence of a divine God. God, who has all authority, who whatever situation you have, you bring it to him, and whatever is resisting you, whatever you're carrying, that has to recognize the divine God, who is great and greatly to be praised. There is nothing that you brought into this place today that does not shriek and shudder at the presence of God. Everything, everyone is going to bow a knee. Because he's great and greatly to be praised. And so I say this to you because God is great in its field. We can find scripture and story and account in history points to the fact God is great. But God doesn't just want to be great in the Bible. He doesn't just want to be great in the the world. He doesn't just want to be great over in the Middle East or over in the West or over in the North or the South. God wants to be great right at your address, in your living room, in your household, in your situation, in your family. Perhaps the personal aspect of the greatness of God is more practical and productive uh, in our consideration today. Perhaps the most important question for you right now, I know that I can share these stories and you can listen and go, yep, interesting, good, praise God. My ham's still waiting, the sweet potatoes are still waiting, and I'm still hungry. But I want to ask you, perhaps the, the greatest question I can ask you on an Easter Sunday afternoon is, just how large is your God? Is he larger than your life? Do you let him loom large in leadership in your living room? Do you allow him a large place in your priorities? Because if other things are prioritized higher than him and his things, he is a part of your life, but he's not the Lord of your life. 
And for a large majority of Christians today, oh, you're being judgmental. No, you just look and you see because you can just, where, does, where do things get prioritized? And so if something is of greater priority, then he's a part of our life, but he's not the Lord of our life. Is he Lord in your daily decisions, in your home, in your workday world, in your social and recreational life, in your political and moral philosophy, in your church life? God is great. There's no doubt about that. History points to it. The Bible points to it. Others will testify to it. But will he be great in your life? That's solely up to you. It's said of Alexander the Great, he was anxious to reward one of his faithful generals for great and heroic deeds performed on the field of battle. When he called the soldier before him, he thanked him for his valiant service in winning a great battle and then asked him, what would your reward, what would you like your reward to be for your service? The great general boldly and bravely requested the position of ruler over a large province. Those listening, they gasped in astonishment, those who were, that the man's audacity that he would ask to be a general over a large province. The great Alexander rebuked those bystanders. Silence! He said to his general, he says, your request has honored me. A great general can grant great requests. And he generously gave his general his desire. Our estimation of the greatness of God is directly related to the magnitude of our faith and our expectations. Dare I say that on this Easter Sunday afternoon, may I boldly proclaim to you that so far, God has done exactly what you expected him to do. I expected to hear a good song and I expected to feel a little bit of a tingle, a couple goosebumps. But if you walked in and said, I don't care if it's Easter, if it's Sunday, next Sunday, last Sunday, if it's cold, rainy, wet, hail, I'm going to come into that church. I'm going to give God every ounce of worship that I have. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to pray for the sick, and I'm going to watch God just heal them. I'm going to get to the front when the altar, I'm I'm, going to pray somebody, and they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm telling you, God is ready to meet and exceed your expectations. The problem is, half the time when we come into the house of God, he doesn't do very much, and it's because the people of God didn't expect very much. Dare I say, Easter Sunday afternoon, God, so far, has met your expectations. But I want some generals in here that say, well, I serve a great God. I claim that this will not be big enough by the time we get to go in the front door. I serve a great God that when we walk in, we're going to be debt free in day one, service one. I want, I want, I want, I'm looking for generals that are just going, (laughs) oh, I don't serve a little God. Oh, if I could, I'm just, I'm just trying to get through this day today, trying to get through this day. I'm a child of the king. I'm claiming this. I'm claiming the next year. I'm claiming the next decade in the city of Liberty because God's great. So we, we need some generals that start to say, no, no, no. I know who I'm working for. I know who my father is. 
Oh, there's many examples in the Bible that confirm this concept. Just what was Moses' vision of God's greatness? When he stretched out his rod over the Red Sea and he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What, was he expecting that? I mean, like, he just stood there and there's the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's army behind. And all of a sudden, and he swing just opens it up and they walk through on dry ground. Just what greatness did Joshua's eye of faith and vision when in the face of possible ridicule and resistance, he fearlessly and faithfully marched the children of Israel up to the most, the largest walls they had probably ever seen or heard of. No doubt when they got to the walls of Jericho, those things were bigger than they would have ever even imagined. Sure, they sent spies ahead, but when the actual army got there, I bet you any money they would have walked up and said, oh my Lord, those are thick and huge and high and strong. What are we doing here? But Joshua said, just shut up and march and watch what God can do. And Joshua, I wonder what was going on in his brain in the expectation and the faith that he had as he walked around that city and said, man, God, I don't have a clue what you're going to do here, but I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Just what greatness did Nehemiah imagine when he surrounded by fearsome and formidable enemies? He rode around the walls of a fallen city of Jerusalem at night watch and saw in his mind's eye those broken down pieces of rubble standing again as the walls of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. That starts with a vision. And today, we're not, I don't want to just talk to a church that's looking at our present circumstance and our present circumstance, our present situation and going, God, I just hope we can hang on. I just hope we can make it work. I'm looking for some generals that are going to say, I don't care if it's just rubble. I see a rebuild city. I see walls. I see, I see things because I, I, I got God on my side. How about John? Was he exaggerating when he said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Was Paul deluded when he said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me? Folks, is our God able today? That's what it comes down to. I know that in a, a crowd this size, you got situations, you got problems, issues. There's things you're dealing with, your, your parents, your kids, people at your job, you're dealing with stuff. It's normal, it's natural. You're dealing with physical issues, emotional issues, relational issues. And, 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 and right now, the question is, is God able? Do you have any rivers that are uncrossable? Because I have a story about that. Do you have any mountains that are unclimbable? I got a story about that. Do you have any walls that are unreachable, unbreachable? I got a story about that one. Do you have any walls that are unbuildable? I got a story about that one. Do you have any fiery furnaces whose flames are unquenchable? I got a story about that one. Do you face any lions whose mouths are unstoppable? I got a story about that one. Do you have any problems that seem unsolvable? I got some stories about that. Do you have any foes, foes who are unconquerable? I got some about that one. Do you have any friends who seem unreachable? I got some stories about that one. Do you have any hurts that seem unhealable? I got some stories about that one. Because if you do today, you are in the right place. You are in a place where there is a great, 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 mighty, powerful, big, awesome God who showed up here today and he didn't come in just to celebrate Easter with us. He walked into this place because he wanted to perform signs, wonders, miracles. He wanted someone to come up and dare him to ask. He did just ask him and dare him to say, will you do this? Will you do this? Is this too big for you, God? 
Oh, you can stand to your feet. Oh, God, he showed up to be great once again. Just remember, you might be tired, but God is not. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is still on the throne today. God never relinquishes control. He's always the great and mighty God. The bodies of those who founded, organized, and advanced the great religions and philosophies of the world, they're still in their graves, just so you know. We know where we can find the dead bodies of Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad. We also know where we can find the living body of our Savior, but it's certainly not in a grave in Jerusalem. It is said that one great world conqueror upon observing the tremendous power and influence for good that Jesus Christ has exerted on, on human history. He wondered out loud and he said, I wonder how I can achieve the same. And one of his close friends said to him, it's simple. Just get yourself crucified and raise again from the dead three days later. That's the greatest story we have in, in any, any part of the Bible. God would not be great if he was still dead. But he's not dead. He's alive and he'll always be alive. He's, a great, he's our great and powerful God. And today, I just feel for some of you, if I can preach this whole greatness of God and you're still just yawning and ready to go, I can't help you. Have a great day. Easter Sunday, God bless you. But I feel like some of you are literally like being held back in your seat right now. You want to get to an altar because you want to worship the King of Kings. You want to bring God the praise that he's worthy and deserving of. And so I have been reading scripture this whole, this whole message. And so this Easter Sunday message does not come to a close with my creativity or my wisdom or my ability to paint a great picture. I'm going to let scripture close out this Easter Sunday message. And as soon as this scripture is done, I want to release you to go and to find a place to pray and to begin to worship the King of Kings. Listen, I know we got an Easter egg hunt. We got family photo booth and all that. That will wait. We will not take that down. We will not stop that. We won't start the Easter eggs yet. I need some people, some generals are going to find a place and say, God, I'm going to dare to ask you for some powerful things. But check out a time when the Old Testament prophet Isaiah listed some great things about God. And listen as scripture closes this message. Isaiah 40, 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth and has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed someone's advice? Does he need instruction about what? What is good? Did someone teach him what's right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it was a grain of sand. All the wooden Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes they count for less than nothing, more emptiness than froth. To whom can you compare to God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold? <clears throat> 
decorated with silver chains or if people are too poor for that they might at least choose wood that it won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve out an image that won't fall down haven't you heard don't you understand are you deaf to the words of God the words he gave before the world began are you so ignorant he says God sits above the circle of the earth the people below seem like grasshoppers to him he spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them he judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing they hardly get started barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither the wind carries them off like chaff to whom will you compare me who is my equal asks the holy one look into the heavens who created the stars he brings them out like an army one after another calling each by its name because it's great power and incomparable strength not a single one is missing oh Jacob how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles oh refuge church how can you say the Lord doesn't see your troubles if he's keeping track of every star in the sky how can you say refuge church that he lost track of you somewhere how can you say he ignores your thoughts have you not heard have you never understood the Lord is an everlasting God the creator of the earth he never grows weak or weary no one measured the depths of his understanding he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless even the youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint church we serve a great and a mighty God and I invite you right now to come and to worship him like he is worthy like he is deserving of I don't want I want God to look at me and see my worship right now and say I'm drawn to that man because he understands that I'm worthy he understands that I am deserving Oh, I celebrate the greatness and power and majesty and authority of our God.
so empower our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our 
if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us.